The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Hello, I'm Russ Matthews. And I'm his Pilates instructor, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 110 of The Big Picture for the week beginning June 5. And coming up on today's show, Anne of Green Gables, the super dark version on Netflix. And can the DC Universe finally get justice with Wonder Woman? And we vote one for Frank Underwood with the return of House of Cards Season 5. And welcome, guys. Hey, and, Mark. And who the heck are you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who's that strange what, man sitting across from me? What have you done with my Ben McKechnie? <laughs> ben McKechnie, you're sounding very American today. I know. Exactly. I've been, been pry- trying out my American accent for days. How, how's it working? Well, of course, if, uh, many uh, long-time listeners will know that that's Russ Matthews, who's stepping into the chair while Ben swans off somewhere, I guess, to relax. I don't know what yeah, he's, he's doing. Yeah, he's taking a yeah. break. Gallivanting. Probably... Gallivanting. Gallivanting that's is what, what he's ben doing. That's what crazy Actually, thing. seem gallivanting through the vineyards of South Australia. <laughs> you reckon? I reckon so. I think yeah. he skips. Maybe he's gone uh, to the oh, film skipping. set of... I can see him skipping. Yeah, the film set of uh, the new Storm Boy film in South Australia. Maybe that's where he is. <laughs> he's probably one of the pelicans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, word. let's get into what's out at the cinema, Russ, this week. Oh, this this week at the cinema, audiences will be traveling back to 1979 to find out what it will be what it will be to be a 20th century woman. I know that's what you want to know, Sam. Yeah. Annette Benning, Billy Crudup, and Elle Fanning helped to tell of a coming-of-age story of a teenage boy being raised by his mother and two other women. Then also, it's safe. Is it safe to go back into the water, or is it even safe to stay at the beach? Find out this week if Dwayne Johnson and Zac Efron can save the day on Baywatch. Mark will be reviewing this next week. Well, mm. reviewing is one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I might just simply be having a tirade. Yeah, what's on the TV, Mark? Okay, look, uh, on the ABC this week, actually this Friday coming, uh, season one, episode one of Unforgotten premieres. And this is just, if you're a crime drama nut, okay, and you love the sort of stuff that comes out of the BBC, then here's another one. Okay, basically we've got two... You know, I'm not even sure I'd bother giving their names. We've got two detectives who work on cold cases to say solve disappearances and murders. It sounds a bit formulaic. I'm sure it's original. Um, on Netflix this week... Sorry. No, that's all right. On Netflix this week... Um, actually, there is something I really wanted to skip over the other stuff to get straight to this. Uh, Disturbing the Peace is a documentary that's on June 7. Now, listen, you might not think of yourself as a documentary person, but you really should watch this one. It's fascinating. It's about Israeli soldiers from elite units and Palestinian fighters, some of them former, you know, people who were going lined up to be suicide bombers, mm. oh, wow. uh, coming together to discuss their common goal for peace, putting aside their uh, their animosity wow. and actually forming a a, um, a new uh, movement called Combatants for Peace. Oh wow! It, it's called Disturbing the Peace. It is fascinating. It has picked up huge numbers of awards all around huh. the world for best documentary. I think this one's kind of a shoe in for a, 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 an Academy Award, you know, next right. time. Oh, really? So really, Disturbing the Peace, you get a chance to see it on Netflix. There it is. Oh, right. Okay. Well, it is time for True or False. And in the spirit of the redhead from Prince Edward Island, our True or False this week is about Anne of Green Gables, Mark. That's right. Now, uh, later we'll be talking about one of the new Netflix TV series. Russ is going to take yes, us into the will. world of Anne of Green Gables. Uh, Anne of Green Gables, I'm not sure if you know, I'm a bit of a, a fan and aficionado of Anne of Green Gables things. Uh, and um, a true <laughs> resident of Prince Edward Island. Uh, it was published in 1908, and it sold 19,000 copies in the first five months, wow. which is almost as many as my book did. Uh, and now, 
It has now sold more than 50 million copies worldwide, with 125,000 wow. people a year making the, uh, the pilgrimage mm. to the Green Gables Heritage Place uh, out each at Anne of Green Gables, sorry, on uh, Prince Edward Island. Now, many countries have come to love Anne, but none more than Japan. Japan? Okay. Japan is just completely obsessed with Anne of Green Gables. They've incorporated really? so much Anne of Green Gables into their culture. Which one of these is something that is absolutely a mainstay for Japanese culture? A, that there's an Anne of Green Gables Academy in Fukuoka, which teaches Japanese students how to speak English with a Prince Edward Island accent. Mm. Okay, Or B, that they have a nursing school called the School of Green Gables that tries to instill <laughs> Anne-like qualities into the students. Oh, um, or people get married in Anne-themed weddings with many adult women dyeing their hair red and tying it up in pigtails. Oh, wow. Now, wow. which, oh, of those, <laughs> which of those has been absorbed by the Japanese culture as their tribute to Anne of Green Gables? You will find out later. All right, well, let's talk about Anne of Green Gables. It was a book series from L.M. Montgomery. Or maybe you've seen some of the beloved films from Anne, of, about Anne of Green Gables. Well, Netflix is delving into the life of the young red-headed orphan, and Russ had the chance to watch Anne with an E with some huge fans of the community on Prince Edward Island. So... Will the faithful fan base enjoy this new series? One day, Princess Cordelia arrived at the most beautiful kingdom in the world. She knew not a soul and was worried no one would like her. We sent word to Mrs. Spencer to bring us a boy. You don't want me. There's no point in crying. There's been a mistake is all. Girls can do anything a boy can do and more. All right. Well, gentlemen, I mean, it's kind of funny being a, a man kind of coming in and talking about Anne of Green Gables, but it's a well, new you series. you do have pigtails. I do, I do. And Mark I, just I, said how much he loves it. I, I, just I, Mark does love it. But High five I, with Anne. I do. Woo! There we go. All right, Anne. But I will say I come from a house of Anne of Green Gables fans. My wife actually, most of the names that she wanted to name our children came from the Anne of Green Gables series, if oh, you wow. can believe it. Yeah, so we how have did, how did a your son huge, feel about that? huge fan base. So anyway, so that when the new series from Netflix um, came out, kind of talking about this plucky redheaded orphan who's adopted by the Cuthbert siblings. They uh, they live on Prince Edward Island off the east coast of Canada and she began begins her engaging adventures and mishaps. But one of the interesting things about this that's kind of new and different is that it definitely takes on the novels of Ellen Montgomery, but it's actually brought to us in, by the writers of Breaking Bad. <laughs> really? <laughs> and, so you mean the yeah, laugh there? Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so does Breaking Bad really feel compliment or detract from the optimistic orphan who um, arrives in the small community of Green Gables? So, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what, what you think as we're kind of going through and talking well, about well, it. Okay, don't, don't tease. How does it feel to have Breaking Bad influencing Anne of Green Gables? I mean, does she have a meth lab in the, in the, in the Gables? <laughs> there, there are no yellow outfits that she has to wear or anything like that. Well, you know, they really stay pretty true to the story. I don't know if you've, if you've read the books. I'm sure Sam has read all of them. But going through and looking at yeah. going through the Anne of Green Gables story, if you've seen the movies, you'll see that the, the story is there, but it definitely has a much darker theme to it. Uh, they're kind of running throughout it because of the Breaking Bad thing. And one of the key things that uh, the key things that you see in it that aren't really in the books is that she kind of have all have all these 
backflash moments, you know, these moments of her past where she may have been abused or hurt or nice. treated poorly or bullied. And so she all of a sudden, she'll be in this kind of this phase where she'll just kind of blank out for a while and um, kind of go into this dark area of her past. <laughs> oh, I'm so, sorry, this is so not what I expected the head of Green Gables. How did, look, you're, you said you come from a household of fans. We're big fans. Were they sitting there going, oh, wow, this is exactly where we needed to take Anne? Or, or are they going, why is she having flashbacks to the Korean War? I don't know. That would be <laughs> exactly. flash forward, but, well, you know. If anybody knows my my beloved wife, she's an incredible woman. She's very, very kind and caring, but I've never she's seen her. She's also listening. She is also, uh, yes, yeah, she is. She. I've never seen her get quite so angry because she's like going, this is not a part of the story. This is not how, and she even pulls out the books and she shows this is all handled in a very different way. And so even though the, the, the loving theme of the whole story is there this darker element isn't necessarily complementarian it's really it kind of detracts from the whole storyline now look this is a beloved book series from a different era so what does Anne with an e bring to a modern audience russ well i mean i still think if you go back and revisit the books or even look at the former film and then also even with the Anne with the e at the heart of it it really comes down to family and community and the importance of that that we all desire it we we are really created for that that god really created us for community and be connected with others and i think that anne of green gables just kind of takes us back to that again uh, even anne with an e um, you can still see the value and the importance in wanting to belong even as an adopted um, child that she's still a part of a family and there's just mm-hmm. something that she desires and her heart screams out for and so i think that even though this is a book that was written um, so many years ago and books that were written so many years ago and also it's a it is definitely a throwback sort of feel to it even though it's a modern day twist on it it is still one that i think people can take away that the value of family and community. And with an E stars Amy Beth McNulty and Geraldine James and is now streaming on Netflix and rated PG. It's time for our true or false answer. Please. Okay, well, we're delving to all things Anne of Green Gables. And I was asking before, since the Japanese culture is so completely influenced by Anne of Green Gables now, which of these is true? That there's the Anne Academy at Fukuoka teaching people to speak in uh, English in <laughs> Prince Edward Island accent, or that there's a nursing school uh, called the School of Green Gables that instills Anne-like qualities, um, or that married, uh, grown women get married uh, dressed up as Anne with their hair dyed red and in pigtails. Which would you pick? This is fascinating. Just, just, I don't know. Tell us. I think. I I mean, I find it fascinating that the Japanese culture would embrace this story in this manner. I almost find it hard to even believe that all. But if I was going to take any, I'll go with C. I'll go with the uh, the whole Anne themed weddings. You will not be disappointed. Oh, really? But for that matter, you could have picked any of them and not be disappointed because they're all true. Ooh, the Japanese really? culture is so obsessed <laughs> with Anne of Green Gables that you can pretty much study how to speak like Anne whilst introducing all sorts of medical techniques that Anne would have approved uh, and dress like Anne at the same time on your wedding day. Yeah, there you yeah. go. There you go. All right, coming up on the big picture, how good is your knowledge of top-rating TV drama? Can you pick the theme? And also Wonder Woman is on the way. Welcome back. Well, we've come to the soundtrack part of our segment. and Some TV dramas become so big that they just slip into our public consciousness. All you have to do is drop a quote like, a Lannister always pays his debts, or maybe a reference a character like, Homer Simpson and the pictures in your head already, isn't it? I mean, you, you know go. the drama series or the comedy that we're talking about. 
The fact the same could be said of theme songs, okay? And since we've been talking about Anne of Green Gables and are about to launch into House of Cards, two dramas, we figured we would test your collective knowledge in our soundtrack segment about dramas. But I'm actually going to flip it onto you guys, Sam, Russ. Oh, no. Uh, ready for a little mm. competition. Oh. I'm going to score between you. So what we're going to do is we're going to play <laughs> oh, no. nine themes now and find out who truly is a valuable member of the big picture team and who's oh, just no. who's just coasting on, sure. on Welcome my back, Russ. So can we see how okay. we go? So let's try number one. All right, here's number one. We'll just jump in anytime. Anytime. I, I've got no idea what that is. Seriously. Oh, is this, is this a Game of, oh, Game of Thrones? Right. Then. Oh, there we go. There we go. So that's one to Russ. One there to Russ. Well done, Russ. Okay. It was the cello. Now, so this, was I not clear? It is a competition, <laughs> people. Okay. Good air is a good one. I was thinking that there would be something like jumping in quick. Let's try number two. Classic drama. What is this? Guys, I put the easy ones first. <laughs> oh, great. They're going to get easier. Out on radio, there are people screaming. No, nah, I'm going to no, call I'm, it. I'm going to have to call. We've got that wrong. What is it? The Sopranos. Oh, oh gosh. Sopranos. Let's show you what our, our, our okay, television let, viewing... Uh, let's try track, track three. You'll get this one. Walk through the garden. Wow, man. Does no, anybody in this room apart from me watch TV? That is, of course, the thing to The Wire. I was going to oh, say yeah, the, the Wire. wire. Well, I should have said The Wire. If Ben McKechnie was here, he'd be kicking us all in. In fact, he'd be listening somewhere on his sunny beach in South Australia. Oh, he's going, what's going on? Such a disappointment. Okay. okay, let's go on. This, track four, come on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm too young for all this. Maybe too young. This is Madman. It's Madman. Why can't you be too Mad Men. Oh, as opposed to Mad Men. You said Madman. I said, yes. I think it's Mad Men. There's a space between them. Anyway, I'm going to call it. You're testing two people. Obviously, don't watch a lot of TV. We see a lot of movies. No. Let's not pick up on my pronunciation to somehow make you feel Well, I had to justify the fact that we both. Okay, let's go to the number. Extract. This one's for us. I'm gonna start giving hints. Is this this is a Friday Night Lights. There we go. Hey. Okay, Russ pulls into the lead with two to zip. <laughs> I'm Sam. waiting. I'm just waiting for Twin Peaks to appear. Okay, All right, next one. Let's go. Oh, oh I know this one. Yeah, this is ER. Um, no, yes, uh, it is. Yeah, it is. It oh, well, you got to say it is. Good. Well, that, that goes back. I was about to is say, that, when were you born? No, I, I used know. to watch a bit of ER. I was about to youth. say no, simply because I'm so used to saying no. But <laughs> okay, that's really right. <laughs> All right, okay, next play one. The next one. Was it Star Trek? No, listen to this bit. That gives it away, don't you think? No. <laughs> That was just plain scary. It's lost. Oh, lost. I know. Lost. I watched all of Lost. I didn't pick it up. You know what? You, when you don't see the black card with the white title coming towards okay, you, you don't, right, you don't yeah, get yeah, it. You need the visual. You next need time, the visual cue. Yeah, next time I will give you the name of the show <laughs> all right. coming towards you. Okay, we only got two left. Okay, Come here on. we go. 
Oh, Bonanza? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go, Sam? I know this. Of course. If oh, I said it was Oh, West Wing, yeah, yeah of course Wing. it is. Yes. Now, that's really good. That's really good because we're now down to <laughs> it's a two each and we have one left. And this is quite possibly one of the best soundtracks ever written. You should get it straight away. Who is the best out of you two? Here we go. Star Trek? No. Oh, but you have to be a little more specific. Uh, 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 um, um, it's not Voyager. It's uh, Next Generation? Star Trek. Sam, wanna kick in? It does sound like Star Trek. Of course, it's the theme song to Deep Space Nine. Of course, uh, <laughs> seriously. Star Trek well, Deep Space Nine. Just going through the list. Look, well, come on. I think you you buzzed in first with Star Trek, so I think so you get I, something. Actually, sure. no, no, please, please. I I'm the judge here. I declare me the winner. <laughs> <laughs> Now we've heard a lot of TV series. Let's get into one of the most hotly anticipated ones for 2017 and the jewel in the crown for Netflix. It's House of Cards Season 5, which hit the internet this last week. House of Cards, if you've never caught it before, is the story of Frank and Claire Underwood, a US senator and his lobbyist wife who manipulates, scheme, backstab all the way to the big chair in the Oval Office. Well, Frank returns in Season 5 as a president under siege, prepared to do anything, absolutely anything, anything to ensure he wins the next election. So is there anything attractive in such a pragmatic, determined, diabolical approach? Well, Mark seems to think so. The American people don't know what's best for them. I do. I know exactly what they need. They're like little children, Claire. We have to hold their sticky fingers and wipe their filthy mouths. Teach them right from wrong. Well, season four of House of Cards ended with President Frank Underwood facing the prospect of a congressional hearing into his conduct on one side and a challenge for the presidency in the next election coming from candidate Will Conway on the other side. And journalists are getting perilously close to linking him to at least one of the murders we know that he's carried out. <laughs> <laughs> Only one. I know. So, And on top of all of that, the Underwoods have invited a novelist, Tom Yates, to do a no-holds-barred biography on their lives and he's living <laughs> in the White House. What could possibly go wrong but on the plus side the underwoods are together frank and claire's marriage has found new strength under fire and there's nothing they won't do to ensure that the underwoods become a dynasty in american politics um it is just a fascinating series for those people who might have liked the west wing okay Mm -hmm. as a more positive approach to the american presidency this is the counter opposite this is really on the other end of the spectrum and it's strangely more believable okay well guys i'm Totally over the moon with this one. Okay, say. okay, but but Frank Underwood isn't a hero. He isn't even an anti-hero. He's really just kind of a pure villain, isn't he? I mean, so he. We're, what are we waiting for him to fall? Is that what's going to happen now? Or I what? feel like there's some anticipation for the great comeuppance that will come Frank <laughs> Frank's way. But the truth is that I, I feel like people. Um, uh, really do wait to see what Frank will do next. It's almost like no low he won't sink mm. to in order to low to you know in the go. the the charge to power. Mm-hmm. And and I sort of feel like um, there is a sense in which as we're watching this series that things are coming to a climax. I don't think there will be a series six. 
you know, I think it's more likely that we're going to see everything coming together. So if now is the time. You know, if you're one of those people who are just going, will I get into Lost? You know, everyone mm. seems to be talking about it or whatever. Now is the time to dial into House of Cards. Or will it, you know, if you're going to binge watch anything, if you did that whole Breaking Bad run to the finish thing, well, maybe you should possibly have a look at House of Cards. Okay. Well, but, but for those who've kind of stuck with it throughout all, all of the series, is it, why do you think that people really, why is it that Frank's character really resonates with people, with audiences? Yeah, weirdly, um, even though he's a particularly despicable human being, the truth is he is definitive. Like, he really knows what he wants. He and Claire have decided on their path, and they're going to get there, and they won't let anything stop them. Now, compare that to the sort of leadership that we face in politics today. Uh, Look, I know there are one or two leaders out there that you want to give a gold star to, but the truth is that most of the country is being run by opinion polls. No opinion on a politician's agenda seems to last longer than a month, uh, and so nothing ever seems to get done, and we don't seem to have any real definitive idea of what we're aiming for. In fact, actually, there's a name for this in philosophy. It's called the death of ideology, that we've actually moved beyond explanation. So no one's a communist anymore. No one's a fascist. No one's even a, a egalitarian or a libertarian or a socialist or anything. These terms mean nothing. It's all about um, what do I do this week that will get me the votes for the coming election? Mm. You know, what will actually wow. help me approve? And so people are just so responsive that when you look at someone like Frank Underwood, you see someone who actually believes. Now, the fact is he actually believes in himself uh, and he's a quite a hideously selfish man. Definitely. Yet at the same time, you know, he's leading. Uh, and these people are, you know, the world we're living in, people are just not leading. Hmm. Is there any sense that Frank's going to get his comeuppance Yes. In this series? Yes, yeah. I think I think this is the moral uh, thing that runs under the series, that even though, um, you know, you kind of revel in the fact that Frank is going ahead and Claire and Frank and the Underwoods will somehow, you know, carve their way into history, the truth is that we're also, there's this moral undercurrent that it's circling, that you can't defy justice forever. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's one of the great moral things of House of Cards, that eventually it's all going to come collapsing down. It doesn't matter how high you climb. Hmm. If your foundation is not stable, you will crash and burn in the end. Uh, and uh, as far as Christians are concerned, we know that to be true, that there is no way. I mean, a, a rich person, a successful person, a person who has connived and, and fought their way to the top and stepped on other people to do it might actually die happily with surrounded by their children and, you know, on a wealthy estate and such. But we know from a Christian perspective that that's not the end, that there is, in fact, a judgment where everything comes together uh, and God is going to hold people accountable. Um what is the truly scary thing is that we are going to be held accountable. We might be hmm. just wow. um, yeah, socially um, much more acceptable in our behaviour, hmm. but the truth is that one day we're all going to have to answer. Frank Underwood is going to have to answer, I suspect, before this series comes to an end, uh, before my life comes to an end, I know we're all going to have to answer. So, you know, that's something, I guess, worth looking out for both in the series and also in our own lives. House of Cards Season 5 stars Kevin Spacey, Robin Wright, Joel Kinnaman and a host of others waiting to testify before Congressional Committee or deliver the perfect soundbite. Uh, It's rated MA15 Plus and all five seasons are streaming now on Netflix. And actually, if you're looking for some more stuff about uh, Frank Underwood, you can go over to Eternity. Uh, Eternity is a great supporter of uh, the big picture. Eternitynews.com.au actually has a video over there with me ranting all about Frank Underwood called Vote One Frank Underwood. All right. Coming up on The Big Picture, Wonder Woman takes on World War One, and you tell us who your real-life Wonder Women are. 
Welcome back to The Big Picture. Now, in a moment, Russ is going to take us to the cinemas to see the latest hero from the DC Universe, the unstoppable Wonder Woman. Will she fare better than Batman and Superman? We'll find out soon. But we thought we'd ask you now, the listeners... Who you really look up to when it comes to women who make you wonder. So, Mark headed off to meet some smart female listeners for our press record segment this week to ask them, who are the women who really inspire you? When you think about women on the screen that have inspired you, who do you think of? Um, Anne Hathaway in Princess Diaries. What does Anne Hathaway contribute? Um, She's just a really light and fun character who's easy to relate to. And are you waiting to be a princess? Oh, I'd love to be. (laughs) So what woman inspires you? Audrey Hepburn, without a doubt. Why Audrey Hepburn? Because she's practically perfect in every way. (laughs) Is there a particular Audrey Hepburn film that sort of brings that home to you? I love her in Funny Face. I love her in Funny Face because she moves from beatnik through to wonderful supermodel And all the while, she loves books and reading and learning. It's just glorious. Who's inspired you? Barbara Streisand. Why Barbara Streisand? Um, I just admired her singing and her acting and a little bit about the story, how she became her position she is now. Can you tell us who yours is? Elizabeth Bennett from Pride and Prejudice. Why Elizabeth Bennett? Um, Because she's a strong woman who knows what she wants Um, And she doesn't compromise on her standards just because of peer pressure. Amanda, we're asking people who their favourite woman is on the big screen or just favourite character. Who's yours? Jane Eyre. Now, why Jane Eyre? Um, I have a very strong English heritage and that's where I go to for my inspiration and my reading. But what about her character is it that you like? Uh, She's a very resolute lady. Uh, She was very determined. She knew what she wanted and she didn't take life's problems sitting down. She went at it and got what she wanted. That's brilliant. Thank you. Which women inspire you? I think I'm inspired by Stephanie Alexander. Why Stephanie Alexander? Oh, because she's a great cook and she's inspired people all over the country to cook and to eat well. And she's also um, somebody who really cares about children and how they understand where food comes from. And she started the Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Garden program and she's got kids in schools, you know, cooking and growing food all over the country. She's a modern Wonder Woman. She is a modern Wonder Woman. (laughs) Indeed, she is. (laughs) When you think of women that inspire you, who do you think of? Um, I think recently Julia Baird is someone who really inspires me. She's a a brilliant woman, um, an incredible journalist, really um, level-headed and balanced, but she's also gone through trial and is um, incredibly vulnerable with that and brave and, um, yeah, just inspires people to, I think, live a better life. You could wear a T-shirt that said, Be Julia. Totally. (laughs) Yesterday I was at a funeral for a member of the CWA. There were many CWA ladies there and I was very inspired by them. Some of them are in their 80s and older, and they're still working tirelessly, <clears throat> excuse me, to improve life for others here and overseas. When you think of characters or people, women who really give you a sort of a path forward, who do you think of? There's lots of women that I admire, but probably the biggest influence on my life is my mum and my nana, because they showed me how you do it, how you work, how you have kids, how you sneak sleep how you go to the bathroom on your own occasionally. Um, But they taught me how to manage my life and without them I wouldn't be able to do what I do now. Thank you very much. (laughs) 
Now, you may know that the DC Universe has struggled over the past few years. Superman, Batman and the Suicide Squad were all a little bit underwhelming and couldn't lift this cinematic world into the clouds with Marvel. So, the big question we have today is, is Wonder Woman the saviour of the DC Universe? What is this place? Who are you people? We are the bridge to a greater understanding. Right. What is your mission? Well, here's the thing. You are in more danger than you think. The boys in the trenches called her Dr. Poison. Millions would die. The war would never end. I'm going, Mother. If you choose to leave, you may never return. Who will I be if I stay? All right, gentlemen, you have to admit it that DC Comics needs a win. It does. They need a win. Wonder Woman um, seems to be the right vehicle. She was really the best part of the whole Batman v Superman whole experience. And, um, and now to all of a sudden come to her origin story is really kind of an interesting thing because so many of us know the kind of the Batman story and his origin, Superman story and his origin. They've all been told multiple times, but we really don't know that much about the princess of the of the Themyrsic, whatever the Diane. <laughs> Diana, Princess Diana. <laughs> yeah. uh, she's from that island of Amazons. And um, it really is one of those times where we're going back and looking at it and looking at this the direction of what they're going to do with this film. And I really found that it's a really good film of getting back to looking at her character, what has really built her, where she comes from, her origins, um, and then also kind of moving forward into how she's going to end up becoming the superhero, um, as it were, as the, the first really kind of female icon as a superhero. Um, this film really does a great job of, of really kind of showing us who she is, and Gal Gadot is just phenomenal as, as the Wonder Woman. Um, even though there are some weaknesses in the film, unfortunately, Zack Snyder, who is actually the director of Man of Steel and also Batman v Superman, you can see he got his tentacles in there a little bit somehow <laughs> into this whole story um, kind of in the, the the battle scenes specifically but overall this is a really great rendition and also I think it really lifts the DC universe out of kind of the dark world that it's been in okay well that's that's pretty good because basically they've had plenty of money I mean people are still paying for tickets <laughs> oh, yeah. to go see these things but not much critical acclaim did Wonder Woman hit the mark yeah Yes, it did. It really did. I think that it, it, it they come in at the World War One era, which it had kind of that feel. I don't know if you remember the Captain America, the first Avenger was in World War Two. It kind of had that dated look and kind of taking him all the way back to his origin story. This one had the same sort of feel to it, and but yet it's really kind of quite. Um, a lift and really quite bright and beautiful, um, I think is a good way of kind of describing um, Wonder Woman, opposed to kind of the dark origins that you see in Batman and also in, even in the Superman story in a way. Um, her chemistry also with Chris Pine is really well played, as you even heard in the clip there. Um, it, she, she and he, he really have a great kind of working um, relationship, but then also it builds into something a little bit more romantic, which that's one of the things I think that my wife really enjoyed about it is that they didn't take away her femininity, femininity, um, but they really, but they were still able to keep her as a hero. Look, um, I know I'm listening to you and I'm hearing positives and then I'm hearing a little bit of hesitation. It sounds like it's a bit of a mixed bag. What, you can't give it a hundred percent. I wouldn't probably give it a hundred percent, even though primarily due to two key issues. One was pacing. It, it definitely, because it's an origin story, they have to build so much. It takes a long time to kind of get to the story and kind of build it all up, which so if you have a toilet break, you can wander out within the first 20 minutes. Okay. And not feel like you're going to miss much. Probably. probably. It's, it's like between the key segments is it, there are, 
some kind of long drawn out storyline elements and then the action really starts to come towards the end of the film but the, the big issue that i always have with most of these superhero films is that if you want a great hero you have to have an exceptionally evil villain to be able to kind of come up and really help that hero to rise to it yeah otherwise there's nothing to conquer Exactly. And so I found that with this one, they really they really didn't know who the villain was in a way. It was supposed to be kind of, is it the general evil or is it one key individual or person? Um, I think they just kind of missed on that, that the villain wasn't that villainy. I don't know if is that a word. Is <laughs> I that a, villainous is the villainous? word you're looking okay. for. Yeah. That's villainous. all right. Um, for the listeners, I'm the writer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the correction. I, I like villainy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Now, look, you know, we're getting superhero films basically every month now. The, bre- the bread and butter of box office success. Uh, is there anything new for filmmakers to say about saving the world anymore, Russ? Yeah. Well, actually, that's one of the nice things that I, I really came to value about this film and we could really see it. I mean, it is, it's in your face with any superhero film that you're going to have a savior moment. I mean, that saving the world element that that she wants to come in and save the world. But the thing I like about her, um, that's kind of a little different than a lot of the other superheroes that we've seen in the past is the fact that she's kind of this naivete because she's been uh, isolated from the world for most of her life. And then to be able to brought in and thinking, oh, she can just kind of walk in and all of a sudden everything's going to be okay. And all of a sudden realizing, oh, no, actually, evil pervades so much of the world and that there's a lot more that she has to do and also that she has to work with others to oh, be able wow. to save it. And then the other thing I really enjoyed about this one, even though it was kind of steeped in Greek gods, they really go to and actually points to, it's hard not to see the biblical narrative of the creation account. And looking at God creating, God creating man, man falls, is actually led astray by this one evil character. And then also he has to bring in a savior figure to be able to kind of help to save the world. And so it, it, even though you can see that through many superhero films, they do it in a new way and a kind of a different way. And especially if you look at it through a biblical lens, I think you can really appreciate what they're really trying to communicate with Wonder Woman. Okay, well, get out your golden lassos and head out to see Wonder Woman starring Gal Gadot, Chris Pine and Robin Wright, which opened in theatres June 1. And it's rated M for sequences of violence and action and some suggestive content. Now, also, if you would, if you'd like to read more about um, Wonder Woman and some of the reviews that are going to be going on there, we have these reviews, my reviews actually, even on in Insights website. Um, and we even had a most recent review of the Shack. Um, Insights is one of the key supporters of the big picture, and you can get, you can find all those reviews at insights.uca.org.au. Coming up on the big picture, the mummy's coming, so it's time to get your bandages on and reintroduce yourself to Hollywood's best Egyptian bad guys. And also, Mark's going to take us to the limits of evil with his top five most likable villains. (laughs) Welcome back. Well, the reboot of The Mummy releases this week with Tom Cruise starring in the surprisingly named feature... The Mummy. Yes, it's true. The rumours are true. Well, Ben's going to be back soon to give us his commentary on this linen-wrapped low life. But for the Vault segment this week, we thought we'd sneak up behind Russ on his day off and see if he we couldn't put him under a little bit of pressure to produce uh, his favourite Mummy movies. So recently, Russ, you filled in for Mark when uh, Mark was away, gallivanting around the world. So, <laughs> So, Mark, you thought you'd make it a little bit harder for you by adding an extra level to the challenge. Look, as I remember it, those guys um, were trying to make it a little bit easy on you, which I feel is a little offensive for a man of your stature. Making it far too easy for you. So for me, now that we're chatting, we're going to talk to you about mummy films. I thought I'd just give you three minutes. We'll start our clock now. 
Now, I thought this was an interesting challenge because at first I was a little confused because it's after Mother's Day. So what would mummy films, I mean, I was thinking about, you know, Pride and Prejudice and thinking Notting Hill, Love Actually. <laughs> so mummy films. And then I was like going, oh, you meant mummy films. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, kind of not, not films for your mummy. Exactly. Yeah. So this one's kind of, you get wrapped up in this one. Here's kind of what you're doing. And so, so I was looking at some of the top mummy films. And I think you really have to go first. You have to go back to the 1932 classic called The Mummy. And, and Boris Karloff, who most people probably may remember Remember or know of as being Frankenstein, but he actually played also the mummy at a certain time. And it's a great film. It's really what started the whole, um, really what we have now as far as the monster universe that we have from Universal. So Dracula, Frankenstein, all these different things. We have the mummy that we go back to 19. So the mummy kind of kicked that whole thing off. Okay, it did. It kind of kicked it all. Off. Even though there were movies before it about mummies, this was really the kind of quintessential mummy movie. <laughs> Say that fast that time. Okay, but then you, you have to jump all the way ahead to 1999, and we kind of see a rebooting of this whole thing with the Brendan Fraser, The Mummy again. And so we're looking at a, 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 the new franchise that starts, and and it really kind of went on to become a, quite a franchise. I didn't realize how many films there were. Why did you think they restarted it? Well, I think that one of the key things that really helps is the fact that now they have this new technology, the special effects, they just really groundbreaking. If you look back at it now, I mean, it's almost, what, 18 years later. It, it may not look as groundbreaking, but then it really was. And it was really quite terrifying, and I think it really drew, drew people in. Yeah, much more so than Abbott Costello meet the mummy. <laughs> exactly. You know, because everybody sees that every single week. But then, but this one, these last two, I probably would say were a little bit more accessible for kids. And so I, I would say that there's actually mummy movies for kids. So you could enjoy with your mummy. I guess. And so, uh, so, the, so the first one would be the Hotel Transylvania, which is actually played Murray the Mummy. It's, a, it's an animated film. It was an Adam Sandler film, which surprisingly, it was still good. And so, and so that um, it was actually, uh, the artist was CeeLo Green actually plays Murray the Mummy. And it's really hilarious. Something very accessible and you could really enjoy as a family and sit down and enjoy. But when talking with the family about our favorite films about mummies, um, it goes to the 2006 Night at the Museum. Oh, okay. That's fantastic. And you can tell me in 45 seconds. <laughs> okay. And it would be King Achman Ra. So say that fast. King Achman Ra. And it's his tablet, this mummy, that within the sarcophagus is really is the heart of the film. It's really how the museum actually comes to life. And it's one of those things where you can really say that a mummy actually leads to something very good. So as far as our top film for mummy movies would be Night at the Museum and King Achman Ra. Mate, you've still got 10 seconds. Anything you want to say? Yeah, well, you know what? Go out and give your mummy a hug. Welcome back to the studio with Russ. Well, it's been quite a show uh, on the big picture. And as always, it always gets bigger at this time because we are launching into the top five. Earlier in the show, Mark, you reviewed House of Cards and one of TV's most despicable and admirable villains, which got us thinking here, a top five list is in there somewhere. That's right. I was thinking to myself, you know, there are villains that we all loathe, but then there are villains that we kind of love too. Yeah. And so I thought, well, why not have a top five about our most likeable villains, please? Five. So number five now is one of the best villains of all time, Michael Corleone from The Godfather. 
Okay, mm. 1972's Godfather. Um, you, you might think, where am I going with so many other ones ahead? But this is, I love Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino, uh, and, and in the film directed by Francis Ford Coppola. So at the heart, Michael is this good son. Okay, if you know the plot of The, the Godfather, uh, eventually Michael has to take over the the criminal empire that his father, Vito, you know, has been uh, running. And so Michael is at heart, at the very beginning of the series, a guy who's trying to be a good guy, right? Right. Um, and he has great motives. He's a good son. He's trying to follow into his father's footsteps. He's trying to secure the family future. Where he jumps the tracks is just how far he's prepared to go to secure the family future. And so you basically see the slow corruption of Michael Corleone in the three Godfather, Godfather films. Now, personally, I think it makes him kind of likable because you see that hmm. sort of human him. Did it? Did you guys like that? Oh yeah. I mean, or are you about I, to tell me because you don't watch TV drama, you don't watch <laughs> The Godfather either? That's why I was laughing. I was like looking at our scores for the television thing. I was going, um, "Have we seen it? Yes, I've seen, I've seen God, The Godfather." No, I, I, I definitely, I agree with you. I think that it's a, it's a great way for you to kind of look at a man who had really the best intentions for family, yeah. but in essence, it what ended up kind of corrupting him is kind of the world and what the world can do around and him. so you find yourself in one of those unique situations when you're watching films like that where you go you're rooting for the bad guy i hope that hope the criminal justice system doesn't get him you know he'll be okay well let's have a look at number four four now this is one of my all-time favorite bad guys okay he's just oh, wow. tragic he's from the 1982 film Blade Runner. Okay? Oh, yes. yes, which is about to be remade soon. Okay, and and I'm hoping they bring Roy Batty back. Now, Roy Batty is this replicant. Okay, um, he's played by Rutger Hauer. It's a Ridley Scott film, you know, and uh, it's hard not to feel bad for Roy because yes, sure, Roy is a homicidal maniac um, who is a, a robot that's been designed to yeah. be an elite soldier and a killer. Okay. <sighs> But he's been created for a job that no one wants to do. Like uh, he he's he's sent off like many replicants to fight wars with other replicants somewhere out in space on behalf of, of human powers. Um, and he's given the ability and senses that make him really capable of experiencing life. Like his heightened vision, heightened understanding of everything. And he's been given the life lifetime and freedom of a canary. You know, it's, it's right. basically he's only ever going to live a couple of years and then he's sure. going to die. Um, and he can't, by virtue of his program, he can't do certain things. So he is this fantastic life fantastically, you know, uh, caged. Uh, and I, I just feel huge sympathy for him. There's this moment... Oh, gee, can I spoil films? You know I spoil films all the time. If you haven't okay, seen Bla- spoiler alert. We'll okay. just say spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Have you seen Blade Runner yet? If you haven't, quick, just block your ears. The last scene where, where oh, uh, Batty, um, it, as he's dying is just instead of of uh, killing the guy he has the chance to kill the hero of the film he just lets him go because in the end it's he's tired of of anybody losing mm. it's just a huge sympathy driver for me three now you're thinking, well, well, I've got three spaces to go into. I've already yeah, hit no. your personal number one, mm. so I went for Sam's personal number one, uh, Mr. Burns from oh, The Simpsons. Yes. <laughs> Isn't he one of the best villains ever? Yes. And, you know, I feel a bit conflicted about wow. this. I had to include Mr. Burns as one of the most likable villains ever, not because I think um, he's sadly misunderstood, but basically because when you finally do understand, him, you realise he's still lower than you thought. <laughs> 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 he's just—he's reprehensible. I love. 
love his song um, about uh, endangered animals. See my vest, see my vest, made a real gorilla chest. Like, <laughs> just like the fact that he just revels in the fact that he uh, only eats endangered species. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, 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 there's this one line. There's actually, a, you can go online and you can actually get um, Mr. Burns' Guide to Business. Oh, you're okay? kidding. And it's beautiful. <laughs> and this is my favorite line from that. Friends, family, religion. These are the three demons you must slay in order to succeed in business. <laughs> but of course, who could ever miss that great line, you know, that comes from Mr. Burns' Smithers, release the harlots. <laughs> Two. Okay, uh, I'm going to take this to modern times for people who might be struggling with some of the villains I've said so far. Um, the Avengers, okay, has one of my favourite villains. So 2012, The Avengers. Um, I like Loki. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I can cannot, see that. I cannot see how anybody can feel terribly bad about Loki, even <laughs> though he's tried to rule the universe and basically enslave humanity, yada, 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 all that sort of stuff. But these top, are bad things. These Mark. are bad these things. These are bad things. I That's want right. to underline that. If you're, if you're planning on ruling the universe and enslaving humanity, then you should rethink your life. Okay. But... <laughs> Tom Hiddleston just gives such a sympathetic portrayal to Loki. I mean, I, I'm sure he is, de- you know, he's kind of on one level just delightfully complicated. Sure, he's a decided trickster. Okay, yeah, he's been a cruel despot. And yes, okay, he did sort of result in the slaughter of hundreds of thousands of humans beings. But the point is, there's such a depth to his character. I mean, his entire life was a lie, okay? Um, he's the son of an ice giant, not of Odin. Oh, by the way, didn't I tell you? Says Dad. You know, uh, yeah. I'm I mean, adopted! <laughs> you're not just adopted, you're the adopted son of an ice giant. Oh, Okay, uh, he's far, and he's oh, and Odin takes the same moment to say he pretty much never really loved him. <laughs> so, just drop that one in there. Uh, and he has to compete with Thor for attention. Now, if yeah. I had a brother like Thor, I'd go for evil nemesis. You know, because what else are you gonna? What's left? He's huge. He's blind. He's wandering around. He's got this big hammer. Okay, I mean, for Pete's sake. And what's more, for some reason, Loki is condemned to wearing a silly hat. <laughs> you know, the guy wears this horned hat around. Imagine travelling on the bus with that hat. The injuries you might cause fellow commuters. I mean, how is it that you're going to be a well-adjusted human being? After all that, frankly, I have huge amounts of sympathy for his family issues. One. But right at the top of my list... From Batman, the Dark Knight, comes the Joker. Um, The Joker played by Heath Ledger. Let's say that that is arguably Heath Ledger's career high, okay? Tragic life that follows afterwards, and yet on an acting level, Heath Ledger has given us a career performance with the Joker, provides the spirit to one of the creepiest villains Hollywood has ever produced. On a scripting level, the Joker is as just a twisted ball of barbed wire at the bottom of a deep dark hole you know and no one really knows what's going on down there do you remember how his backstory keeps changing yeah you know, like he's just yeah. he keeps telling people why he is the way he is but it's always different because basically the joker is trapped he can only see one way forward and that's being the messed up person that he is he probably doesn't even know why he is what he is or why he does what he does he's just resigned to the destruction and I kind of feel for the joker that way in the same way I feel for any who feels that their life is completely trapped and they cannot change and that is just who they are. I want those people to sort of wake up and know that there's a big difference, that God can actually change them. And I figure, you know, the Joker is just a a, a medallion for all those people who think that there's nothing worth living for in life. But I know the truth. There's no going back. You've changed things forever. Then why do you want to kill me? (laughs) 
want to kill you? What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, no. No. No, you. You complete me. You're garbage. You kills for money. Don't talk like one of them. You're not. Even if you'd like to be. Such a great villain. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. But coming up next week, fancy a bit of living history. Britain's greatest prime minister arrives on the big screen in Churchill. And I get to find out what it's like to be an international student in Australia. And we take a run on the beach with David Hasselhoff and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yep, it's Baywatch time. See you next week. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. 